by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, where it's early August and the news cycle in college football is so relentless and so nonstop lately that we came up with a list of topics to talk about on Tuesday and by Wednesday we had to chop half of those to bring on new topics and I'm sure by the time you listen to us this, something else crazy will have happened. Where do we even start, Bruce? How about we start with something that just happened, at least as we're taping this, Stu, and that would be that the Big Ten has unveiled its optimistic conference schedule for the season, hoping that they will be able to start the weekend of September 5th. But if they can't, uh, there's a lot of flexibility in this calendar for them to push it on the back end, correct? Yeah, when I first heard a couple of days ago that it was going to be September 5th, and consider that the SEC has already pushed to September 26th, and the SEC has pushed back the start of training camp. And I think I said to you, I didn't, I would not have guessed a month ago that the the SEC would be moving more cautiously than the Big Ten, right? You would think they would be the conference that would be full speed ahead. And and you know, I think as you and I are sitting here right now, I mean, this schedule just came out, and it starts with a Thursday night game, September 3rd, of Ohio State Illinois. And that's a month from today. And as I'm sitting here right now, it's very hard for me to picture that that's actually going to happen. However, because like you said, they've left open everything from Thanksgiving weekend on. So with the, in, with, in the back end of this grid, it actually lists four more weeks in case they need it. The Thanksgiving weekend, December 5th, December 12th, December 19th. So if we get to September 3rd or 5th or whatever and... and we're not able to play football they can easily shift three weeks to the end of the season and they too would be starting on september 26th by the way Stu, on that illinois ohio state opener and it's at illinois so i did a little uh, big 10 network hit right before me josh whitman the illinois ad was on and he talked about the the expected crowd that they're hoping for and he thought it would be somewhere between the 10 and twelve thousand range which is about 20% capacity, and that's in line with their state guidelines, as he put it. And I guess because we've watched, or at least I have, watched a lot of NBA and baseball and hockey now, that I'm now gotten used to seeing nobody in the stands. And the right. idea that you might have ten or 12,000 people there um, is kind of surprising at this point. Now, obviously, these are Texas all Texas A&M still planning for 50. Yeah. Texas A&M's going for 50,000. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's, to me, it's like, I think I think to have the games is, is, is I, I can see that more realistically than I can to see them having not even, not even 50,000. I mean, even 12,000 fans in the stands. It's weird that, to me, that college football, not a professional sport, but college football is is setting itself up to be the one that goes first on a lot of these things. And and I think when the SEC pushed it back to September 26th, you know, I think it was smart. And I think a lot of their reasoning, I know a lot of their reasoning is let's let the NFL go first and learn from them. Let them be the guinea pig in terms of how do you safely conduct training camp? They will have played, you know, two or three games by then. 
the idea that the first, you know, the first major football game in America would be Ohio State, Illinois, and that there may be fans there is really bizarre to me. But that's the plan right now. And look, we said this last week when the ACC schedule came out, there's something exciting about seeing all those helmet grids. Um, what was your initial take? Uh, I mean, first of all, obviously, Ohio State, Michigan in October is the is the, the eye opener. I understand the reasoning, but, you know, in a, in a year where every where Notre Dame is going to play in a conference and and just basically everything that that is normal has been blown up. I mean, it doesn't get much uh against tradition than that before we get into the schedule i think one thing is this initially was going to be announced a day earlier and as the big 10 was ready to to uh, on the eve of that they had like an avalanche of bad news on the COVID front coming out there was uh northwestern your alma mater had its stoppage related to covid uh, there were significant testing numbers that were coming out uh, i think in michigan state and illinois there was the story of the Indiana offensive lineman, Brady Feeney. His mom had gone on social media and talked about a pretty harrowing experience with him being rushed to the ER uh, and her worried about him having heart issues. And I think for a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, they're 18 to 22. They're going to be fine. I think that kind of flies in the face of that. And it also makes you wonder how much of these stories are, do we not know about if there are more of those and then after, you know, after that, you had a massive outbreak at Rutgers with, I think, 28 players and three staffers. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I do think, you know, you mentioned the SEC before. The Big Ten seems to be announcing a lot more of their COVID results and handling of it and has, has had more of the specifics than I feel like the SEC and some other places have. I mean, some things have gotten out, but I'm not sure they've been announced that as such. Yeah, it's been very frustrating to me that that um, that it's just been left completely up to the schools whether they want to publicize their data or not. The ones that aren't are hiding behind privacy laws that do do not apply. Nobody's asking for you to identify the names of the players, just how many people players have tested positive. And the fact that so many schools are doing that tells you they're not concerned about that being a privacy violation, but it's true. Like we know exactly how many players have percentage of players have tested positive at Michigan, Michigan state, uh, Ohio state's not doing it. Uh, Illinois, uh, Penn state, and, and you know, and a lot of those, the sec off the top of my head, I can't think of one that has publicized that. And that goes and you know, that's, that's in keeping with how the conference, those schools and those conferences handle injuries or, frankly, access to their players. Did you know that? I didn't realize this until this week. Georgia has not made a single player available to the media since their bowl game. I mean, they are... Who knows what's going... Anything could be going on behind the walls of those... And you would have no way of knowing because it's a complete uh, media freeze-out. So you're right. It's like we know... Like, things seem kind of bad in the Big Ten right now in terms of how many schools are dealing with you know, COVID crises. But for all we know, the same thing could be happening in another conference and they're just not as uh, transparent about it. But yes, there's a, it's such a weird juxtaposition to, to one day you're reading about Rutgers having uh, 28 players having tested positive now or in quarantine and, uh, you know, having to shut down practice for two weeks. And then two days later, it's here's our grid game starts September 3rd. Uh, Rutgers is going to be hosting Nebraska that week. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, and I, I wrote about this in my mailbag, in order for that to happen, 
I mean, they've had several programs now have to, Michigan State, Rutgers have had to shut down for two weeks, right? They had to quarantine the whole team for two weeks. If that happens in training camp, which starts for most of those schools this weekend, they're not going to be able to start the season well, it starts, on time. It starts for you get, some of them. It starts tomorrow. For Ohio State, it starts tomorrow. For other teams, it starts Friday. So, yeah. I mean. You get 25 practice days, and they're going to have 29 days to do it. And if they had to shut, if they get an outbreak and have to shut down for two weeks, you, you just you can't start the season because, you know, you talk about health and safety. Having those players try to play a, a, a game, having not had the, you know, necessary acclimation period you just can't do that and so you know that's why they built the schedule the way they did if they had to they could move ohio state's first two games to last week in november first week of december before we get into the actual schedule because i do want to touch on that for a bit i do want to ask you something that that dawned on me even it comes up every now and then over the course of a day with everything going on it came you know i thought about it actually when you were talking a second ago which was it's we're not far from mid august right now it's august august 5th as we're taping this right and i think you know when you're a little kid and you're in school you wrote the date down on you know whatever paper you were writing you know and so i think you were i think a lot of us and maybe maybe people with more quote-unquote grown-up jobs are used to dealing with oh today is November 13th. Oh, today is February whatever. I think because of the pandemic, not only are like the days of the week start to blur together, but like part of me is still not, you know, still kind of processing where we are in the calendar. Meaning we're literally uh, less than a month now away from the first Big Ten football game on the schedule. Um, I have no idea, you know, where this is in terms of my own work. You know, in terms of will I be, you know, will will my crew be working one of these games? I would assume so, but I don't know this yet. Um, and so that's the part where I think I'm still kind of processing a little bit as we're moving forward with this, as it's moving forward fast, you know. And so, you know, transitioning from that, I mean, I'm looking at this and uh, going, okay, you know, on first glance, Wisconsin got a really, really favorable draw here. They got no Penn State, no Ohio State, and their crossover game is Rutgers. So that's pretty good. And then you look on the flip side, I'm like, man, if I'm Maryland, I'm not thrilled because I open at Iowa and in the crossover you get Wisconsin and Minnesota. Those are probably the three best teams in the West, right? And then uh, Indiana, who we were just talking about a second ago, they went from having three group of fives in addition to Wisconsin in the month of September. And one of those groups of five is UConn, who's not even going to be playing college football this year. And instead, now they're going to end up with road trips to Wisconsin and Ohio State, and they get a visit from Penn State all in the month of September. That's, you know, I'd much rather be Wisconsin than I would rather be Indiana and Maryland right now. How crazy is it that, you know, you said UConn's not going to be playing football this year as almost like as an aside. Like in any other year, if a program announced it was canceling its season, FBS program, it would be the story of all stories. And in in college football right now, it's like, oh, it's Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> that's one of eight gazillion things that has happened today is UConn announced they're canceling their season, uh, saying that it's COVID concerns, which I'm sure it is, but also, I mean, they'd had almost their whole schedule. Uh, they'd lost almost their whole schedule due to these conferences going to conference-only games. Um also, just to what you were saying before about, you know, your, our calendars are off, you know, I definitely get the sense from 
uh, from our readers that people are not in, you know, usually August 4th, we would be August 3rd, August 4th, we would be full blown season preview mode, standings, Heisman watch, uh, you know, the polls coming out, all that stuff. People aren't there right now. They're now maybe all these schedule announcements will, will be the thing that, that, that turns it. Uh, but we're not seeing much reaction to season preview type content. And my mailbag, when I ask for questions, they're all about, is the season going to happen? What would have to happen for the season to happen? What happens if a team loses 15 players the week of the game? Not much. Well, how do you think this team's going to do this year? Or what do you think about this team's quarterback battle? So we're all just in this weird state of limbo. Uh, I would like to know how they decided who gets each crossover opponent, because somebody had to get Ohio State and it's Purdue. And I know Purdue had that huge upset of them a couple years ago. But in general, like, you, you took the 4-8 and eight team and you gave them Ohio State. Northwestern, 3-9 and nine last year, you gave them Michigan. Like, if this were the NFL, you would do it the out. You would be giving the best teams the other best teams. This is like a reverse thing. Um, you know, Wisconsin picked up Rutgers. Wisconsin, the team that won the division last year, picked up the worst team in the conference. It's like a. It's like it's good to be Barry Alvarez. Inflating the team schedule. It's good to be Barry Alvarez. Good to be Barry Alvarez. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Ten game conference schedule. I mean, if we can pull it off, it's going to be super exciting. You know, there are there is no. You know, you're not starting off September with a bunch of MAC games, FCS games. You're starting with conference on conference, and I guess what that the. the I mean, Ohio State-Illinois is the notable game of week one because it'll be first, and it features Ohio State. And, you know, there are, as of now, a couple Big 12 teams playing August 29th. How crazy is that, by the way? Later this month, we're going to have some college football games. But, you know, Ohio State-Illinois will basically be like the start of the, the official start of the college football season. Um, what else stands out that first week? You've got... Uh, of the matchups? Yeah. You know, Indiana, Wisconsin on a Friday night. Indiana, you know, an improving program. There's not like any blockbusters that week. But then you get to week two, September 12th. And, you know, the little brown jug, Michigan, Minnesota. Can Minnesota know now without Rashad Bateman? Um, you know, have the kind of season they had last year. Um, you've got now Penn State gets to play in pesky Indiana. Um so, you know, with each week, it's like these are games that you that would probably normally be played on in October and you would barely notice them because there's other bigger games going on. But if the other conferences are going later, I know right now the ACC is planning to go earlier, but the Big 12 said they're not starting conference play till the 12th or the 19th. Like, it's basically college football season is going to be Big we 10 hope, season for the first we couple We hope weeks. it can start then, you know. <laughs> It, that's the plan. That's the plan as of now. I mean, if I had to guess, uh, some of these, some if not all of these games will get pushed later. But who knows? For months, I just kept thinking. I would have thought by now, if you'd asked me three months ago, two months ago, a month ago, I would have assumed that by August third, we would have had everything would be on hold, and with an assumption that we're not even opening training camp and that we're going to start the season hope things get better and start the season later in september or early october never in a million years would i have guessed that you know yes we have 10 game schedules there's been modified schedules but that 
one of the major colleges um, is planning to open right on time. Which would you be more surprised about? The which which to me is the, the that there would be crowds, or do you think that there'll be games? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a slippery slope, but I mean, crowds. I, I mean, I, I think that see, you know, it, it it still feels like I used this expression on our group text the other day. I could see it feels like kind of threading a needle here. But it's the crowd part that I'm like, man, I, I just don't see how if, you, if you're not doing it in other sports, how colleges are going to feel like they can do it. Back to the podcast in a second. But first, Bruce, chicken ribs, chicken that tastes like ribs. And it really does. Right. And one of the best things about it, it is healthy barbecue. And what does that mean, Stu? It means 75% less fat and calories than traditional pork ribs. Uh, Stu, we both had had it. And the thing that I really liked was it was very filling. Uh, I thought it was really good cuts of chicken. And it had some really good flavor. I was, I don't say pleasantly surprised, but I was very pleased with what, with, uh, with what a longtime listener of the show, and I think we're burying the lead there, the fact that uh, a diehard college football fan who has listened to this show for many years is now a proud sponsor, and, and we couldn't be happier about that. It's a perfect natural fit. It also, it's great, you know, if we're allowed to tailgate this year, it's great for tailgating. It's free two-day shipping nationwide, vacuum package right from the smokehouse. I just, you can just take, it was in the packaging, individual wrap, you know, portions, and you can just, stick it right in there and boil it without even thawing it. I did that the first time. And then the second time I put it in the oven, made it a little crispier. I think that's the way to go. You can throw it on the grill or if you're Andy Staples and you've got an air fryer, go for it. Great barbecue takes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy. Fully cooked from the smokehouse, chicken ribs are authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com and use code audible to get $10 off plus free two day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat for the big game, whether at home or the tailgate? That's chickenribs.com, code audible for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. Well, I think that it's there's more pressure on colleges to do it because ticket revenue, it, it's, I mean, every sport is losing, obviously, a lot of money in ticket revenue, but the percentage of their um the percentage of their budgets or their revenue that comes from tickets is higher than in the pro leagues. And there's donations tied to it. You know, you usually have to make a donation to get your season ticket. So I, I mean, I guess I get the, the, the holding out hope part. I just, are they actually going to go through with it? Now we could get into, I don't really want to, but we could get into a whole thing about, well, you know, it's outdoors so far. So all indications are out big outdoor events are a lot safer than big indoor events. And, you know, if with the right social distancing protocols and people wearing masks, like it, maybe it is totally safe to do it. But it's a, it's a big uh, responsibility to take on. Like if you're Illinois and you bring in those twelve thousand people, and then three weeks later there's been an enormous spike in COVID cases in Champaign. Like, do you really want that, that, that right. burden, um, that responsibility on you? Yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to sift through. Like I like I've told, said to you, I do not envy. ADs or, or college presidents right now. And, you know, just like, it just feels like a lot of two steps forward, one step back. And sometimes it feels like one step forward, two steps back. But I feel like a lot of the decision makers don't want to be the decision makers and they're just waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Like in some cases, I know Syracuse, uh, Rutgers, like some of their states have already said, like, sorry, no spectators at any 
sporting events. So they didn't have to make that decision. That decision was made for them. Um, but like the NCA, how they've kept punting down the, 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 the decisions on championships further and further down the road. Um, it's like they, they want somebody to, I, mean, I saw Bob Bowlesby several times say, until somebody tells us otherwise, you know, we're, pl- we're planning to proceed. And then you're like, who is this somebody? <laughs> like you're the commissioner. Who is this somebody that you're waiting to tell you what to do? Um, it's, it's, I've, I got to give Bill Connolly credit, but like for this assertion or this statement, but basically there have been all of these issues with the leadership of college sports. This didn't start overnight. It's a very, you know, fragile and outdated model and it's all being exposed right now. Like everything that's wrong with the way college athletics is run is just, has just all come to a head because of the challenges the pandemic's putting on it. And, you know, one of, and, and a big way that's coming out and it has come out in the last week is what we're seeing with the Pac-12 United uh, players movement. Now the Big Ten has one. You know, I mean, for the entire history of this sport, the players didn't really have a voice. Um, they haven't really had any input in the protocols that their schools are putting in place to handle this. And now that we're kind of down to the 11th hour, guys are starting to raise concerns and in the Pac-12's case guys are threatening to opt out of the season if they don't have certain wow, demands. segues to um <laughs> that's a veteran move uh, yeah well we knew we wanted to talk about it yeah so look it's been three days or so since our story went up the right after the uh after the players tribune post on what their demands are and the Big Ten players under Big Ten United, I don't want to say they followed suit because theirs were, seemed to be much, uh, I don't say more manageable, but there was less less uh, of a head-turner thing, like 50-50 revenue split kind of thing in there. It was much more specifically about their concerns about COVID-19 protection. Yeah. Whereas the Pac-12 one is... Basically, we want you to blow up the entire structure of financial structure of college sports, and if you can't do it by the start of the season, we're not we're not going to play. Right, and the challenge on the on that one is, and this isn't mentioned in our story on the athletic, is the people who are in the process trying to determine how big and how strong is this movement. It's one thing for a Panay Sewell to to retweet or tweet out a hashtag. And say he supports his his teammates, just like look Jake Bentley, who's a you know started his career in the SEC and now is at Utah. He was he tweeted out a screenshot of him basically saying, "I support my teammates, but I want I need to play." And I saw that I think Elijah Molden, really good player at Washington, a defensive back, he made a I thought a very um, I don't say reasonable, but just a strong strong comments about it that I think you know resonated with a lot of people where it's like yes we understand there's some real issues here but the you know it's the opt-out is probably not going to be the play for a lot of people and as we talked about in our story the guy really at the center the driving force behind this in the Pac-12 Ramogi Huma um, he was the one who was attached to the Kane Coulter unionization movement at Northwestern I don't know how many years ago is that Stu six years ago 2014 yeah, six years ago, as well as the UCLA story that the LA Times ended up going with about two months ago, where uh, his process, I think, is, I don't know. I, I think it's, sometimes it gets to be a little murky to, for people to determine 
how involved it is. And as I heard from some coaches who were talked to their players, it was a lot of, well, Ramogi says this and or, you know, those kinds of things about how they're going to, you know, how they're going to make their demands and what what their expectations are. And I think now for Larry Scott and the leadership in his conference in the Pac-12, I think they have to, you know, I'm sure they're taking it seriously, but there's a lot to unpack there. So let's take a step back and try to explain this because I'm not going to per- assume that everybody listening to this read the whole Pac-12 letter or, or our article um, detailing how it all came about. I, on Sunday, I talked to Jake Curhan, who is uh, fifth-year senior offensive lineman for Cal, and one of the original, you know, the genesis for all this started basically with him and a few Cal teammates who were concerned, you know. It, concerned about um, their safety this upcoming season started talking about it amongst themselves then they started reaching out to you know I mean guys have played at other I mean one of the Cal offensive linemen started his career at Oregon you know guys have played with other guys at high school so they started reaching out to players at other schools Oregon I think was the first one and they're like yeah we have the same concerns and also like you know the we want to if we're going to address this we should also address racial justice and everything that's been uh, at the forefront since uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And, you know, you see the pro leagues that have come back have have taken that head on. I mean, you can't watch an NBA game and not see the messages on the players' jerseys and Black Lives Matter on the court. Um, at some point, so between them reaching out to players at other schools, and from what I understand that that became Zoom calls with, you know, at least one player at the other schools. And eventually it would morph to a, a, a group chat. It's not a group text, but one of these group chat apps, apps with hundreds of players. Um, at some point in there, Ramogi Huma got involved. Ramogi has been pretty much the most prominent you know, college athlete rights advocate since the early 2000s. And anytime Congress has a hearing about this, these things, they call him to testify. And anytime the media writes about these things, they they call to quote him. And if I'm a college player looking to um, organize some sort of movement like this, I would call him too. But as you alluded to earlier, he one of his methods is he he takes these things and he, I, I, I don't want to say exaggerates, but he he's, he's kind of a, you know, he has tactics. And one of those is to take these opportunities because they don't come up very often and, and morph them into something that was maybe bigger than what the players originally intended. And so by the time this, you know, this played out over the span of a month, and by the time that letter went out on the Players' Tribune, it now included everything from, we, we demand a 50-50 share of all of the revenue, Larry Scott should take a huge pay cut, um, you know, things that, that are noble and admirable, but completely unrealistic. And I think it's frankly unfortunate that they did all that because it took away from their main message. You know, the Big Ten one that came out, uh, today was very narrowly focused on COVID-19 concerns. And frankly, a lot of that stuff, some of that stuff the conference has already addressed and some of it is would probably not take that much for them to to reach some sort of compromise with them on it. Whereas the Pac-12 one, we put that story out and all of the responses and all of the backlash was entirely about the revenue sharing part. Nothing about COVID, nothing about racial justice. It's you know, and this is one of those things where there's a tremendous disconnect between sports writer Twitter, where I mean, I think I don't think it's a stretch to say that almost everybody who covers this sport is very much in the 
in favor of the athletes being paid and um, you know just just there's no issue that that they're more aligned on than that versus the general public is much more split the people listening to this right now i'm sure are very split a lot of people feel like hey i had to pay my way through college this is a huge um they get a they get their their whole education paid for that's a huge huge um benefit i don't think they should be asking for even more you know i could argue the opposite side of that but the point is the public's very split on it and so they made that issue much more volatile by going there does that make sense it does make sense it it gave people who probably are already skeptical more reason to be dismissive because i do think that everybody every player in college athletics should be very concerned right now about whether the schools are doing um are going to be able to like they can't prevent anybody from getting COVID-19 but are they taking the best possible steps to mitigate it and we had a pretty ugly uh, some pretty ugly allegations of a school not doing that Colorado State which we should get into as well where some of the things described in there if they're they could be happening at other schools we don't know and if they are um I would be terrified to be a college football player right now because, uh, you know, if, if a position coach is telling you not to report your symptoms because we can't afford to have more players lost to quarantine, I mean, that's disgusting. And, 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 and it's that kind of thing that you, where I really feel for the players. They don't have a union to negotiate these things. And there is no, you know, centralized organization like there is in the pros. I mean, the pros... You know, baseball, say what you will about their plan and how poorly it's going right now, but there was a union and they agreed to that plan with the owners. There's no such thing in college sports. And so I do think that they have a legitimate point there that gets lost as soon as you bring up pay for play. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. With Artifact, you can capture family history with parents and grandparents, talk about friends and family as a birthday, wedding, or anniversary gift, both about how they've made a difference in your life, and share some hilarious stories. Bruce and I, just this week, recorded our first Artifact, didn't we? We did, and so you will learn plenty of fascinating items about Stu and myself uh not to give away the store but about how opposite we are in our interests (laughs) and how unusual it is that this that the two of us actually get along it's a it's basically a a a 30 minute episode about basically the the bruce stew bromance if you will the whole history of our let's not call it that let's not call it well you you know (laughs) what do you want to call it it's a story about how we met and and our friendship over the years and how it led to the origins of the audible and here's what here's how it worked we went to heyartifact.com and told them a few basic things about what we wanted the artifact to be about, then answered a few pre-interview questions and scheduled the interview, and the whole thing only took a few minutes. From there, Artifact's professional editors and sound engineers take care of the edit, and we'll be sharing that episode with you when it's ready next week, but for now, you can go to heyartifact.com and hear some awesome samples. There's a ton of ways to use Artifact to capture stories with your friends and family, and when you're ready to make an artifact of your own, Use code AUDIBLE to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com, promo code AUDIBLE for $40 off. 
So here's the Colorado State story, if people aren't aware of that yet. It originally broke in the uh, Fort Collins, Colorado paper on uh, Tuesday. ESPN also had a pretty good extensive follow-up. And in the case of that newspaper article, 10 you know, anonymous players and staffers, and I thought that was significant, uh, the staffers part, reached out to the paper to raise alarm over, they feel, pretty negligent um you know, basically negligent or, you know, perp- they reached out concerned about negligence in the way that the coaching staff and the training staff is handling um, COVID protocol. Uh, the school has launched an investigation. The president has made it clear how serious these allegations are. Now, after that initial report came out, four current Colorado State players went on Twitter and refuted it. Uh, the SID had a pretty dismissive statement of it. But it's clear at this point they are they are taking it very seriously. Some of these details, um, so I'll just give you a few details here. Um, Steve Adazio, so they basically they had to shut down workouts because so many players tested positive. CDC recommendation is that they should shut it down for 14 days. However, a source who attended the meeting told ESPN, I can confirm he said that although the CDC recommends 14 days, we're going to try to come back early. Another person who attended the meeting said, He's making it sound like, depending on the test results, he wants to get back before 14 days. It's like, is that even possible? Um, multiple sources said disregarding COVID-19 protocols was part of an unsettling and toxic pattern at Colorado State, and some examples extended beyond the football program. They also shared emails and text messages to back up their claims. Uh, there was a volleyball player who who tested positive, who'd had a, a breakfast with three other players, and they weren't wearing masks, and after she tested positive, for whatever reason, they didn't quarantine the other players. Um, they say that the football players have been treated differently. When football players attended a July party with a female athlete who later tested positive, the other female athletes who attended the party were asked to quarantine, but the male athletes on the football team were not. And then, you know, you've got a guy who says that one of his teammates was showing symptoms. Uh, you know, he's right next to him in a practice. He's showing symptoms. And the guy, though, kept practicing. He was too scared to tell the coaching staff. He didn't want to, you know, lose playing time. Uh, it's every worst nightmare. And again, these are allegations. The school investigated. But if it's true, it's like every nightmare you could possibly have about a football program not taking this seriously enough. One of the things that uh, I noticed in the ESPN story by Myron Medcalf, um, and I, th- I think that story posted after the uh, a lot of the a bunch of the Colorado State players went on social media and said it was not true, uh, at least the earlier story. And I thought one thing that at least I noticed was it wasn't just uh, coaches, it wasn't just players and a staffer. It was also a sports medicine staffer that they had said, told ESPN about uh, the athletic department leaders and discouraging athletes. To me, the sports medicine component of that, not to say that the players' words don't matter, but I just think that that probably makes it a stronger case for this. And look, we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen in this investigation. But this is Steve Adazio. He he just got there. He's got some transfers there. But I don't know. Um, you know, clearly, if, if you're Colorado State, I mean, this is the last thing you want right now is is that. Because all of a sudden now you become the face of, of this part of it where, you, you know, there's been... Uh, there was some other uh, there was some comments made by a, a player at a at a small a lower division school talking about uh, 
not feeling safe uh, on the protocols at the at the school he was at and the program he was involved in. So, I mean, but now you have Colorado State and a relatively well-known head coach in the middle of it right now. And we're this could be going on elsewhere. I mean, because the media is completely frozen out right now for safety reasons. I mean, nobody's going to have you know people enter their bubble basically and have reporters come to practice uh, not knowing if if they've been tested or if they've been uh, wearing a mask or any of that anything could be going on in these football programs we have to take their word for it that they're following these protocols um and and i think that that that's going to raise alarm um the ncaa takes a lot of criticism rightfully so but let's give them credit for one thing they put out a press release wednesday morning um, outlining some new requirements and one of them requirements um, initiatives and one of them is they've set up a confidential phone number and email for athletes or their parents to report what they believe are violations of schools violating COVID-19 protocols um, I think that's uh, essential uh, given what we're going through right now and of course we're seeing uh, we're seeing players start to opt out I don't think that's surprising. I mean, it is you know, one of the demands in both the Pac-12 and the Big Ten letter, and the NCAA flat out addressed it today. A player cannot ha- who chooses to opt out for over COVID-19 concerns cannot have their scholarship taken away. Their scholarship is protected. And so we're starting to see some players opt out. Some of them are guys you wouldn't have heard of, but some of them are the top, some of the top draft prospects for 2021. And, you know, I guess we're starting to wonder, like, how far is this going to go? How many, you know, with the season, if we were putting out together a preseason All-American team, we would have to keep revising it because we've already lost several guys who would have been on there. Right. Even, uh, you know, we'd mentioned Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. There's been a report that as of now has not been made official about Micah Parsons from Penn State uh, opting out to get ready for the draft. Uh, Jacob Panashuk, who's a really good lineman at Michigan State, he is is really announced that he's choosing to redshirt this year out of safety reasons related to COVID nineteen and plans to finish his senior year uh, in twenty twenty one. So that was a little bit of different spin. I suspect we will see more players opting out. Now on the flip side of that, Jamar Chase from LSU is the best receiver in the country. He has told reporters that. He's staying. He's playing this year. Uh, a couple of the Ohio State high-profile guys, Justin Fields for one, he said he was playing. And you know, we'll see if we'll see if there's more momentum to this. Um, one of the things that came up in my uh, potential spring story that I did talking to coaches about whether they thought if if a spring had to, a spring season had to happen, about how many of their players did they think they'd lose. Uh, I'm curious if this is this is an element that coaches are worried about for the fall, which is, all right, I may play a couple of games, but then if I play pretty well, I'm going to shut it down at some point during the course of the year and, and kind of reduce my risk as much as possible. Um, and that obviously remains to be seen, but that was, I know, some concern for some coaches that I talked to about a, a spring season if it came to that. I mean, first of all, it's important to note most college football players want to play. I mean, the guys who are opting out are getting the headlines, but it, you know, I don't think we've reached a point yet where it should be considered surprising that Justin Fields is going to play this season, right? I mean, you only get a certain amount of years to play college football, and maybe you feel like your school is doing, I think probably a lot of guys, most guys feel like their school is doing everything possible to 
mitigate the risk. So they want to play. Um, but that being said, I'm sure all the players who are draft eligible and you feel reasonably certain are going to go very high have agents in their ear telling them, no, 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 shut it down now. We'll pay for your training. Uh, won't affect your draft stock. And when you've got that in your ear, it suddenly becomes a very tough decision. It does. And, and look, I think the social media echo chamber probably will only add to that. So so let's see where that where that's going to head. So many, so many things going on right now, Stu. And I think that it's important, you know, people have asked from the early stages of this, like, what do you think will be the lasting effects of, you know, some of the things that are taking place now because of the pandemic that might stick around after we get back, after we get out of it, which, by the way, I no longer use the phrase back to normal because who knows what normal is going to look like when we're going to get back to it. You remember how quickly, so when Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey, I season that would have been 2016, decided to skip the bowl game. Remember how jarring that was? Like, oh my gosh. You know, people suggesting that their stock was going to plummet because they weren't good teammates, et cetera, et cetera. How quickly that became completely normalized to the point where I feel like last bowl season, Derek Brown from Auburn was like, what are you doing? You're playing in the Outback Bowl? Like, that's how quickly that became a norm. I could see this becoming a norm. Pandemic or not, you know, guys concerned about injury risks playing two seasons and then saying, you know what, I'm going to be a top 10 pick or a top 20 pick. I'm going to take this year off, not risk injury and uh, and start training for the draft. Now, they still have insurance policies. There's still the, the SAF fund where players are, you know, schools can still provide the money for the insurance for loss of value insurance. So that that still exists out there. Um, and I, my understanding is the players who even have the insurance but are going to opt out, they will still be covered, um, you know, assuming that, you know, if they had a risk of injury and in training or anything like that. But it's, yeah, we're in, we're in definitely uncharted waters with all this. Yeah, I'm, I got to say, I'm, I'm concerned. You know, we, we've been covering this sport for as long as we have, and you've always just, you know, you take for granted. It's an extremely popular sport. Um, it's exciting. Millions of people enjoy it. And yeah, you you have to. There's a little bit of like uh, compartmentalizing you have to do when some of the uglier things that happen. Um, we know there's corruption. We know there's cheating. We've had a couple, you know, truly, truly awful uh, situations like Jerry Sandusky, Baylor sexual assault scandal, and you just kind of have to compartmentalize, or you would lose faith in the institution entirely. But I'm now concerned. I'm concerned that college football is going to be affected by this for a long time um the money will come back it's not that uh just so many things have have been exposed so many fractures have been exposed and maybe it'll ultimately be for the good you know maybe for, I, I don't think there's anything bad about players finding their voice and some of the changes they've affected i mean uh, a mississippi state running back helped get the mississippi state flag changed something that many people on that state have been fighting for for decades and never thought would happen. That's a good thing. The bad thing is the 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 terrible leadership that is taking place right now, and the and the fact that the NCA has been exposed as being completely inept and powerless, and the the group of five just being completely left in the dust right now. You know, struggling to fill out their schedules. This isn't just going to all. You're not going to wave a wand and all go back to normal because there's a 
a COVID vaccine, it's gonna, there's going to be some scars from this that are going to take some time to heal. All right, Stu, where do you want to go from here? Something more positive. Give me some. People get on me for not saying the good news enough. That was a very depressing road I just went down. Let's talk about something positive. What have you got? Well, because this is a college football podcast, obviously we're like knee deep in college football, and 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 things aren't going so well in that sport. That being said, the other night I sat on my couch and watched a Lakers Jazz game in August, and it was great. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. There's no fans, but they have the sound, you know, it sounds like a, a jazz home game. And, you know, Anthony Davis was going off and uh, that sport is, is is succeeding. Like we're going to, you know, knock on wood, but it sure seems like we're going to have an NBA playoffs and an NBA finals. Um, it is doable for the sports that are in a bubble. And I just, as I'm watching it, I just wanted to stop for a minute and acknowledge that, you know, we had no sports for four or five months and it was awful. <laughs> And now, like, we've got NBA back. We've got baseball back. Uh, if you are got NHL back, if you're a soccer fan, there's been no shortage of soccer to watch recently. Uh, and knock on wood, we'll have college football and NFL in a month. So, like, you know, I know that in the grand scheme of things, this isn't the most important thing in the, in the, in the country coming back. But sports is very important to a lot of people, and it's, it's, an, it's, a very, um, it's something that gives us a lot of joy and, like, I guess that's all I was saying. Don't take it for granted. I, I did not take for granted the fact that I could watch an NBA game the other night. No, and I mean, look, I feel like I've watched more hockey in the last week than I probably did in the previous year. <laughs> um, and I watched a lot of baseball, and it's been great. And honestly, I, fans or no fans, I think that, you know, it's been fun. I've watched a ton of NBA. Um, and so the idea that we could get football the sport we love the most back soon um is is exciting on that front and i feel like you know at this point it's just like okay you know we just keep our fingers crossed and hopefully we can get it and keep it like honestly i think that with baseball you know when you see the numbers with the marlins and then the numbers with the with the cardinals and um just let's keep everything on track but then you get to see moments like you know the mookie bets throw from basically the corner all the way to nail a runner at third base and you're you know you're just like man these guys are amazing at what they do and it's glad it's good to get a chance to to see them what makes them so special and so hopefully we'll get more moments of that and like you said enjoy which enjoy what you got back now because um like you said it's been a while since we had any kind of sports beyond maybe the random golf a golf uh, tournament or UFC card. So what's been the breakdown? Give me a percent of which sport you've been watching the most. Uh, so I've watched uh, probably the most NBA, but I've watched at least a baseball game every day. And what I've done in the last couple of nights, uh, I watched hockey late night. I'll be honest. I probably didn't know enough about Connor McDavid until just watching the Oilers the last couple of days. And I know for people who are hockey fans are like, how do you not know how great that guy is? But um, there was just some stuff where you just watch it and it's just like, you see how great some of these guys are. And um, I'll be honest, like I didn't pay attention going in to know what the playoff series were going to be like. And uh, so I'm trying to get up to speed on that, but I've watched a lot of it and which is a big change because I wasn't watching any news, but the only thing I was watching here beyond helping my kids watch cartoons was was like a lot a lot of HGTV before the sports came back, so I'm glad they're back. 
And the good news for me is that tomorrow, Thursday, I'm actually, for the first time in 2020, actually going somewhere for a mini vacation, getting out of the house, getting out of our our immediate confines, and uh, now it's not getting on a plane. It's a short drive, but, like, that's normalcy to me to to actually take some time off in the summer, and I'm sure the whole college football will implode in the four days that I'm gone, but, you know, you got to do it sometime, so looking forward to that. All right, and as always, uh, next week we'll get into the mailbag. We will, right, Stu? We, we would like to. I mean, if college football could just slow down for a little bit and we could get to some mailbag questions, that would be nice. All right, and you can send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we will see you next time. Jumping off bridges, spinning down hills and catching air. Thomas thinks cause the greatest thrills